Hello, everyone, and welcome to New Consciousness Review. I'm Miriam Knight, and our guest today is Dr. Elisa Medhus, a veteran family physician who built and operated a successful private medical practice in Houston, Texas, for 13 years, serving thousands of families. She's also the mother of five children, ages 15 through 26, some of whom have special challenges like Tourette syndrome, OCD, and attention deficit disorder. She is passionate about giving children the tools they need to make responsible choices so that the world can become a safer, saner place. She's the author of Raising Children Who Think for Themselves and Hearing is Believing, How Words Can Make or Break Our Kids. And she's lectured on parenting for schools, parent groups, and corporations. Now, when her 20-year-old son, Eric, took his own life, she looked for answers that would pull her out of her grief and despair that overwhelmed her. Her search and the surprising discoveries are chronicled in her new book, My Son and the Afterlife, Conversations from the Other Side. Elisa Medhus, welcome. Thank you for having me, Miriam. Well, it's such a fascinating book. You know, I get so many books about the afterlife and near-death experiences, and it is really interesting to kind of collect and try and slot together the many different perspectives that one gets. And I must say that your son, Eric, is providing some amazing material. Thank you. Yes, he's a character, too. <laughs> he's, he's, he's raw and unplugged in the messages he, he delivers. Well, tell me, as a physician and a scientist, how difficult was it for you to accept the notion of an afterlife and being able to communicate with a dead person? Well, that was one of my biggest challenges because, obviously, as a physician, you're, my whole educational background is science, right? And for some reason, I don't know why, but material science teaches us that uh, if you can't perceive something with your senses, that's it. It doesn't exist. And, of course, it didn't help to be raised by two atheists. <laughs> so what brought you around? Oh, gosh, the most amazing story. First of all, right after Eric died, that's almost four years ago, all these family members and friends just popped out of the woodwork saying, oh, Eric did this prank on me, Eric visited me, this. Eric gave me these signs, and he's been coming to me for a long time. And at first I thought, okay, I don't know about you guys. But then I thought a little further, yeah, I know them. They're rock-solid, sane people. Actually, I should question my own sanity at that part, part, uh, point in my life. But then something amazing happened. I get a call three days after Eric's death from my atheist father. So consider the irony here. This is, this is a great story. He calls me startled. This guy does not startle. He's a thoracic surgeon, did trauma surgery, never heard him uh, startle a day in my life. Anyway, he said he was sitting in his chair you know, reading the paper or something, and all of a sudden he looks up and there's Eric standing in front of him. Wow. And then he said Eric turned into his little boy self and crawled up into his lap. So he's like, oh, my God, I don't know what to believe. I'm so startled. So that was it. That opened my eyes. Now, you, you describe how Eric actually had to learn to manipulate energy and to kind of feel his way um, from one dimension to the next. 
how did he actually manage to do that? Well, they have people that help you and teach you, and it does take a little while to dense up your energy. He says, believe it or not, they have streets up there. They can create their own reality, and he has to dense up his, his outer energy so that it doesn't go through people. Um, but, for example, he learned how to um, mimic the energy signal sig- signatures of noxious fumes, never perfumes, it's just awful, the sense he gives us, and make them with energy, with the manipulation of energy patterns, uh, he can deliver it to us. It's not pleasant, though. And um, he, when he moves objects, like he moved the salt and pepper shakers and made them fly off the table, he sort of manipulates the, the energy um, behind it and pushes it along. And um, let's see, what else has he done? Uh, most, you know, everything is energy, right? Mm-hmm. In fact, he describes, describes us as sentient energy that's self-aware. So everything's energy. You, this radio, the mic, my telephone, it's all energy. And that's what they work with. I, it's very amusing and probably typical of a young man that he would choose to appear as smelly things just to make himself known. He, he does have a very good sense of humor and rather salty language. Did that uh, either bother you or just serve to convince you that it really was he? That is an excellent question. Here's what he says about cursing. Words are just a string of letters. They get their emotion, their power from the emotional intent behind them. And, you know, his intent is benevolent. In fact, the blog members actually love it. They find it very endearing because, you know, it makes them more approachable. It makes mm-hmm. them one of us, which, which he is. He's just a kid without a body. But he also wants to uh, not preach to the choir only and, and reach those who uh, know about this spiritual stuff. He wants to reach the hard hat and the college student and, and others. But like you said, he also wants um, us to know it's him. That he's, it's not, that he's not some ascended master who starts out with, welcome, my dear one. That is not him. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's definitely not him. No. But actually, it makes the book kind of, I know it sounds counterintuitive, but, you know, the the humor, the irreverent sense of humor actually makes the book funny. And and the banter between the spirit translator and Eric is, is just hilarious. I mean, he said, he acts like the petri little brother and she's the annoyed big sister. So they have this playful teasing back and forth and back and forth. Well, now, presumably as an eternal being, um, Eric could have chosen to come back really in any form, at any age, but he chose the way that he left this life to come back and to teach. Um, Tell us about his journey developing into a teacher. Well, you know, he had bipolar disease, and uh, obviously often that's a terminal one. And um, he was supposed to come here and suffer mercilessly so that he developed the the uh, the skills, the compassion, the listening skills, and so on, so that he could become a better uh, teacher. So this is really, you know, a, a spiritual contract. This is what he planned for himself. Most people don't have the the spiritual con- uh, contract of suicide. He did. Mm-hmm. 
I thought it was interesting that he said that um, when people get into the afterlife, they basically experience what they have been conditioned through their belief system to experience. And if they're an atheist, they basically experience nothing until their vibration raises to the point where they can be helped. Um, that was just fascinating, and it reminded me very much of the experience that Eben Alexander, the neurosurgeon who wrote, um, uh, what did he write? Oh, God. Proof of Heaven. A tr- a proof of Heaven, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, when he talks about being in the worm's eye view, this kind of dark, murky thing, until something came to pull him out of that. So it was fascinating confirmation of the experience that Eben Alexander had had. Um, what did you find to be some of the most surprising revelations that he brought forth? Well, there are several, obviously, but I think one of the most interesting is um, that there's no time here. Time is linear, I mean there. Time is linear here, but it's stacked there, so past, present, and future are all happening at once. Your past lives, your future lives, and your current lives. But also, some of the science that he he related to is just fascinating. Of course, it appeals to the scientist in me. For example, he says that the soul is made of neutrinos, and those are these tiny little particles that um, they can pass through lead. I think that's how they discovered them. And um, and when we die, those neutrino particles turn into a waveform, and those waves are carriers of, of information. Actually, that's another way he describes us: it's information seeking information. So that's cool. But here's another one that's awesome. Um, you know what microtubules are? They're these little bitty structures that that help. Uh, they're in all cells, and they help maintain the structure of the cell. But they are also involved in, in cell division. He says that the soul is anchored to the body those two energies, within that hollow space. And when we die, um, that energy-to-energy connection just gets, uh, just builds up this electrical energy. It builds up, it builds up, it builds up until a spark. The soul disconnects from the body. But sometimes that whole thing goes awry. It's like, Houston, we have a problem. And what happens is the energy builds up and up and up, more and more and more, until, poof, spontaneous combustion. Hmm. And... Uh, isn't that interesting? And he says that a lot of times people who die from spontaneous combustions have a, le- a problem letting go of things in general. Hoarders would be an example. So call pack rat people. Give her your stuff. <laughs> Get rid of your stuff. Okay. Um, getting back to the notion of neutrinos and microtubules, because I'm also a science nerd, um, the the image I had of the substance or the carrier wave for information was really light. So how do neutrinos relate to photons, for example? Uh, well, it's just a particle like light. Light can, either, light can either be a particle or a wave. That's it. You know, and it's interesting, you know, all energy, including neutrinos, etc., vibrate at different frequencies on this long uh, electromagnetic spectrum. Uh, so you have radio waves, microwaves, ultraviolet uh, waves, infrared waves, but we are in that small section called the visible range. That's where we see things. That's where 
you know, we, we have matter. And Einstein actually referred to matter as frozen light. And uh, that's, that's one of the reasons we can't see spirits. And I don't understand it because, you know, people just say, why can't we see spirits? But we can't see radio waves, but we know they exist, right? Mm-hmm. Well, we know they exist because we have the right receiver to convert them into something that we can observe. Of course, we have mediums. I actually don't like to call them mediums because it reminds me of T-shirt sizes. I like to call them <laughs> spirit translators. But uh, but now we have mediums, and I think they act like a fine-tuned knob on a radio. You know, they can tune into that vibrational frequency uh, perfectly, and, and that's how they work. So, you know, it's just like a radio. We believe that radio waves exist because, what was it, Marconi or somebody um, invented the radio. And we just don't, don't have the adequate uh, equipment yet to to perceive or to uh, to hone into the, the uh, vibrational frequency of a spirit. Mm-hmm. As, as a medical doctor, you know, an august member of the community, did your friends and colleagues find it difficult to accept your kind of conversion to believing in the afterlife? Well, yeah, many of them had these glazed over looks on their faces. But I was surprised how many were closet believers. Now, a lot of them don't want to divulge to this to their other colleagues in fear of being ostracized. But a lot of phys- physicians have seen deathbed visions and have heard uh, their patients as they die. Oh, there's Aunt Mary, you know, and, and things like that. So you'd be surprised. Yeah, I remember interviewing Janice Amatuzio, who was a coroner, and gave a talk at an AMA meeting in somewhere in the Midwest um, and there was kind of a glazed silence afterwards. And then in the corridors, people kind of snuck up to her, you know, looking over their <laughs> shoulder. <laughs> and, oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Bye. So how does Eric describe death? Oh, well, he he describes his own death in vivid detail, and I, I can't go through that of course it's very painful but he says that everybody's death experience is very unique and like you've referred to you know said before it's based on the beliefs you've created about it when you were alive so some people get the whole white tunnel thing some people feel like they're being tugged by the shoulders into another room some people wake up and there's their um, their deceased loved ones uh, some of them just you know just uh Wake up, atheists wake up in, in darkness, and then all of a sudden they say, where's my dog? And they say, oh, that was a thought, you know, things like that until they get mm-hmm. help. Uh, but he says it almost never hurts. Now, the only time it does hurt if the spirit wants to experience a painful death. Like, you know, yeah, I haven't had any painful death. Let me check, check this out. I don't think too many of them do that, though, I'll tell you the truth. <laughs> so... Uh- um, why can't we see these energies? Why can't we see spirits? Well, for that same reason, they vibrate at a frequency outside of that visible range. Um, look at the hummingbird. Consider the hummingbird sitting on a branch. You can see the wings pretty well, right? So once those little wings beat at very high frequencies, then all of a sudden they're all but invisible, really. So... I use that analogy, it helps. And yet, 
Eric said that as we evolve as a species, we're going to get to the point where we, some, some eon in the future, um, where we don't have digestive systems and where we communicate telepathically and presumably, you know, can see these spectra just as certain, as you say, uh, communicators can do today. That, that was really very fascinating to me. Um, has, have you been able to connect directly with him or can you only do so, uh, through the, the mediums? Well, you know, obviously I try to channel him, but, um, I don't trust myself enough to, to, uh, to put that in the blog. I, I trust uh, Jamie Butler uh, more. But, you know, I've, I've had experiences with him. Usually he communicates, uh, with me by giving me goosebumps on one specific area, the scalp, uh, an arm or a leg. And I used to never get goosebumps, uh, in one region. I would get them obviously all over. Uh, but I've, I've seen him. Too. Let me tell you one remarkable experience, um, and this was pretty early on after Eric died. I remember going to bed, turning off the light, and before I could even pull up those covers, there was Eric hopping from one foot of the bed to the next like a little kid or the Easter Bunny. And there was my sister Denise, who had died, you know, some years uh, before that, sitting on the left corner, just looking at him like, "You are a crazy fool." <laughs> it was just so surreal. I just followed him left to right. Left. I felt like I was in a tennis match, you know, believe me. And then all of a sudden, Eric turns to me and looks shocked, like, oh, my God, Mom, you can see me. And he ran into my arms. Oh, gosh. He felt just so solid, just like he was when he was here. It was just so lovely. Wow. How old did he appear to you at that time? Same as he was when he when he died. Mm-hmm. He, he always be- behaved like a little kid. Every time we went to hotels, I let the kids jump on the hotel bed and have uh, pillow fights. So that was our thing. But also, <laughs> I heard him on the phone. That was a that's a really interesting story. Um, I remember I was on my laptop, sitting on my couch, and it was a time of I don't know midterm elections where you get all those robocalls, you know. Mm-hmm. And the phone rang. So got, that got me irritated because my, my attention span is the size of a gnat embryo anyway. And um, it kept ringing and ringing and ringing. It seemed forever, obviously, because I was annoyed. And then finally it picked up, and there was Eric. Mom, it's me. It's Eric. And I never knew a mother could fly horizontally, seriously. But I was too far away. I couldn't get it in time. But here's some interesting stuff. Uh it was like 13 digits in the number, you know. Plus, I called it back and it was not uh, a working number. The most interesting, I think, is there was zero messages. And it did not leave any message, no voice print at all. Mm. Fascinating. Uh, how did your your friends react to all of this? Did you... Um, did you go through a period where you thought that you were kind of losing it? Well, no, I thought they were losing it, to tell you the truth. I know that sounds terrible, but I thought, I don't know, I, I thought, why was I getting those? If it was really true, I would have gotten those pranks and visits. But I, I figured out why Eric told, and he tells all grieving uh, grievers that this is the case. You know, when you grieve, uh, you're 
your vibrational energy goes way down on the lower end of that um, vis- visible spectrum that I just talked about. That's why we say, I feel down, I feel depressed, or I feel so high and I'm, I'm on cloud nine. So it's very difficult for a spirit to lower their vibrational energy anyway, but they had to, to meet them halfway. It's, it's too hard for them to reach you. So when somebody gr- grieves, it's a good idea to, to let them know, just try to feel joy, try to find one happy memory that will raise your vibrational energy so, so that your, your deceased loved one can contact you. Mm-hmm. Now, you started a blog where you uh, detailed the communications with Eric, and you had reports of people all over the country um, interacting with Eric. Um, do you think that he has a particular um, talent for uh, adjusting his own vibration, or is this something that all spirits can do? Well, you know, like I say, he's just a kid without a body, uh, and he's mischievous. And he likes to play with people, but I think that all spirits can do this because they they can all tap into this infinity of information and share it. But some are not as good as others, uh, and some they just don't want to do that. Some of them want to help babies who are crossed over. Some might want to be muses for musicians. Some might want to help people who have died of, you know, traumatic deaths. Some of them don't want to do anything, and that's what I'm signing up for. I'm sitting in a lazy boy up there and kicking back for a long time. <laughs> Tell us some of the pranks that Eric has played on you and your family. Oh, gosh. He, he turns on water faucets. He makes uh, appliances work that are not plugged in. He drops airsoft BBs a lot from the, uh, from the ceiling. You just see these little fl- fl- fluorescent green BBs. You know what I'm talking about? And they... They drop to the floor and just bounce, um, you know. And, and for the blog members, it, you know, it seems like whenever anybody starts interacting or reading the blog, all bets are off. They're probably going to be pranked. For example, <laughs> there's this one guy. Every time he passes the police station, Eric fills up his car with the smell of pot. So that's kind of unnerving for the guy. <laughs> and then with this other woman, oh gosh, there's so many of them. I'm just giving one example. Uh, one other example, this other wo- woman uh, goes out on her morning jog, then she comes back and all her kitchen drawers are wide open. She doesn't live with anybody. There is no, no one in there, nothing in her house with an opposable son. So, and, and he continues to prank her to this day. I think he has a crush on her, really. <laughs> and remind, remind us the URL of your blog? It's www.channelingericwithak.com. E-R-I-K.com, right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, now, does Eric describe who we are and why we're here? Oh, yes. That, that's also a, a good question. Of course, like I said, he, he says we're sentient energy that's self-aware. Now, why we're here is fascinating to me. He says um, we're here to experience contrast or duality. Over there... Oh, they, they can conceptualize things. So they can sort of know what hot is, but you have to experience cold to truly understand. So it's like we come down here and act in the school play and play roles against each other to create that contrast, like, ooh, I want to learn about forgiveness. Can you please betray me this lifetime? Now, I like it when he uses the brownie analogy. It always makes me hungry for a brownie, though. <laughs> but uh, he, 
he says that um, there you can get an idea of what a brownie is just by reading the recipe, looking at a picture, but you know you have to get in the kitchen. You have to mix up the ingredients, get batter all over your clothes, and put the brownies in the oven, burn your fingers, but then you you take them out of the oven, cool them down, frost them. You gotta have frosting. And you take a bite, and that's when you really know what a, what a brownie is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He also had some really interesting things to say about the veil, you know, about the duality. Um, how, on the other side, you can know everything, but you can't really work through problems. You need to go through the veil um, to, to uh, this dimension uh, to work out problems. How how can you expand on that? How do you understand that? Well, you know they they really don't have struggles there. It's really hard for them to to um, to to learn from the from struggles over there. They, they just don't have any. Here, it's better to you know to 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 struggle or to yeah you have to struggle and and learn and have these experiences that you can't have in a place where they only conceptualize things. Mm. Yeah, I suppose if you had access to all knowledge, then you wouldn't even bother to tr- struggle because you'd already understand all the ramifications and implications. So exactly. you really need that barrier to make your mistakes. Well, that's true, exactly. And, uh, you know, they don't, they're not am- omniscient. They have to know that something, is, some information is available, or you know, they have they have to uh, have to have this perception that something exists, and then they know about it. You know, they know everything. It's just that they have to tap into what they know. Mm-hmm. Like like if you don't know, um, I don't know. Let me see uh, what a butterfly is. You just will uh, find out. Wow, well, let me check out these insects. Let me see. Uh, what butterflies are like, and once you have that perception, then you can gather information about it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Tell us wh- how he describes the experience of God. Well, he says that it's that we are one and part of God. That God is a big collective. You ever seen those little hologram uh, necklaces? You know that like have a skull on it or whatever. They were popular. Uh-huh. I, I don't know in the seventies. Uh-huh. So you see the skull, right? You break it, and it shatters into fragments. If you were to look at each uh, fragment, you would see that skull. So we're individual parts, but we're whole of that collective, infinite energy. So it's not a, a guy on a throne with a long beard <laughs> mm-hmm. that, that goes around saying, I will smite you. No, it's not like that. On the other hand, it was interesting that he felt that he could kind of get into the inner sanctum and communicate directly with God. Yes. Um, he was able to pull close, and he said, oh, my gosh, that was just a, just an amazing feeling. And you can actually merge and stay with that God source, I call it, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, gather all the information and so on, but you can also separate away from it. You can have this separation uh, from it. So when he goes into that or merges with that God source, that's when... He can gather even more information. You know everything. Mm-hmm. Has your relationship with Eric changed since his death? Oh, gosh. 
Well, my relationship with all my kids is just amazing. I tend to be very nurturing, uh, affectionate to the point of annoyance, according to them. And I'm still trying to get them to sit in my lap, and they, they don't want to. I, it doesn't work for me. But my motto as a mother is seek and annoy, and I'm really good at it. But for with Eric... <laughs> Say again? Now, Eric, my motto is seek and annoy. should be for all mothers. <laughs> and I'm really good at it. But, um, but Eric, you know, he, he went into this really dark place. And uh, he was—he had these walls built up around himself, and he was in there fighting his demons, slaying his dragons. And I just couldn't get through. I, I just couldn't penetrate that wall, even though I surrounded him with so much love. But then, when his—when those—when he died, those walls came tumbling down, and we have a great relationship. Even before he got into that dark period, we were able to talk about anything—sex, girlfriends. You name it. And now we're able to communicate about anything. In fact, he's probably more communicative because, well, he's not a teenager anymore. That's part of it. But uh, he's just doing what he wants to do, you know? Mm-hmm. Did he regret, uh, express regret about taking his life? At first, yes. But then, you know, he, he's just so happy and he, he found out what, his, what he was here to do. Now, do I wish he was here still? Oh, yes. In fact, if you told me that I could have Eric back right now, but happy, even if I knew that he wasn't going to do all the stuff he's doing now to help so many people, to tell you the truth, I'd want him back. Mm. I really miss him. And I miss fussing at him for not doing his homework. I miss telling him to watch, wash those stinky socks. And, you know, I, I miss telling him to come down and do his chores. And I ask myself every day, why couldn't he have done this when he's 80 or 90? So, yes, I think he has regrets over, the, over my reaction. His death just set off an atom bomb in our family, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's what he regrets. Mm-hmm. Yes, I, I can't imagine anything more traumatic to a mother than losing a child, particularly this way. Yeah. But I will say to all mothers out there, if you've lost somebody, that, you know, the um, the umbilical cord stretches and stretches and gets thinner and thinner, but but it never breaks. Mm-hmm. Even death is a match for that. So, and they're, we're all eternal beings. We'll be fine. And over there, your child doesn't have any disease, no mental disorder. They're happy. Um, and so... Um, and there's no reason that you can't communicate with him. What actually tipped you over the point of thinking that this is weirdness to really believing that you were connecting with Eric? Oh, gosh, it took a long time. You know, I went from 0% to 90% sure over gosh, a period of like three years. I think it's no matter, no matter what prank or visitor sign you gave me, even that phone call. It's just, I wanted more. That's not enough. That's not enough. Give me just one more sign. One more sign. One more sign. Please, one more sign. Then I'll believe. But uh, I got the sign um, I wanted. And this happened, uh, and this took me to 100%. This actually happened very recently, like six to seven months ago. And I'm sure the blog members would be horrified to find out how recent this was. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I know. But... um, I co- a blog member contacted me about six or seven months ago, and she said that she had heard three voices on one of the recorded sessions that Jamie and I do. 
And my first reaction, mm, I don't know. I was at the live session. I didn't see anybody. I didn't hear anybody. But, of course, I listened to it. And sure enough, three voices, and one of them was definitely Eric's. I mean, a mother knows the sound of their own kid's voice, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it, it was it was weird. He used to say breakfast like a little kid, breakfast. You know, no tea at the end. Mm-hmm. And he had this verbal tick that, oh, God, he did all the time. It sounded like he was clearing his throat, but he wasn't like, <clears throat> and those were both there. So hmm. I, was, I was intrigued enough to have a sound, sound professional take a look at it and analyze it, and he thought it was odd, too. There were little distortions in places, especially in Eric's voice, that, um, that wasn't really human-like, you know? And uh, one of the voices sounded like they were whispering, like, Meter, millimeters from the microphone, but there was nobody there on the video. But I think the, the most amazing part is the voices left no voice signature, no voice print at all. So that, that's it. Erased all doubts. I'm, I'm at 100% now. <laughs> what kind of reaction have you gotten from perhaps your religious friends? Well, I don't, I don't have to meet. Religious friends. I know uh, that uh, you know we used to go to Catholic school when we were little and, and stuff. And one of my my great uncle was Cardinal of Spain, if you can believe that. But uh, you know they really haven't had any reactions. I mean there have been some people who make nasty comments on the blog, but as far as friends are concerned, no. Actually, we have archbishops and, and uh, one archbishop and some priests on the as blog members. So, but here here's this the thing. I'm. I don't pretend to be able to convince everybody, and that's that's okay. Everybody has their own path. I certainly had mine, and was like hacking through a dense jungle with a blunt machete. But you know, as far as religious people are concerned, uh, everybody has their own interpretation of their holy book, and everybody's relationship with their faith is is um, very personal. And I'm not here to challenge that, you know. But you know, Eric's message is just so universal, Miriam. And, you know, it, it it transcends all faith. Now, this is not about being Jewish or Catholic. Uh, it's not about being Hispanic or or um, Asian. It's not about being Republican or Democrat, rich or poor. It's about being human. Mm. You know, it's about being human. I think every human needs to know the answers to the most fundamental questions, like what is God? What are we? Why are we here? And uh, what happens after we die? Mm. And so, in a way, I feel like Eric's uh, just tearing down these these boundaries that we as humanity have, have uh, created to to make these warring subgroups. Because as humans, we have a common bond. We're all together um, going through this whole human experience. So it's uniting people. Mm. Tell me... Um... Do you, do you think that Eric was kind of destined for this role as, as uh, a communicator to perhaps a younger population? That's a good question. I'm not sure. I think he really wants to reach a, a broad uh, sector of the population. Um, and again, he doesn't want to just reach to the people who already know about spiritual things. Uh, but yeah, you might be right. You know, in his role, very often he, uh, he he helps teenagers that are struggling. That's one of his jobs. Another job, besides just guiding and teaching and, and such, um, is to uh, 
help other spirits communicate. Some of them have a problem communicating with those those relatives here here on Earth. So it's kind of multi-talented. <laughs> Spoken <laughs> like a mother. <laughs> hmm? oh, yeah, for sure. How have your other kids reacted to this? Oh, they're great. I mean, they 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 have come along the same ride. In fact, they believed it before I did. But they've been taking the same journey that that I've taken. This whole thing has given them so much, you know, consolation. You know, mm-hmm. it's consoled them. It's made them feel better. Because at first it was just devastating. It was just a, it was a horrible day, and uh, they were traumatized greatly. Um, a lot of them developed PTSD, as did, did I, because it was not, you know, it was not a pretty thing, you know. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And does Eric envision um, how our society might be developing? I mean, does he give sort of uh, forecasts for what we're facing and how we're going to come out of it? Well, it's hard for him since there's no time over there. It's kind of hard for him. He has trouble with the linear language now and dovetailing what he says into into our time. Um, you know, he, he says that a lot of the horrible stuff we're going through, the wars, et cetera, are necessary to build us back up again. Um, he says there really there's no right or wrong. I know that upsets a lot of people and they can't believe it, but everything is, is a lesson, right or wrong. Uh, but yeah, he says we are, we're going to get better. We're going to learn, uh, to be more compassionate. We'll have telepathic skills. Uh, we'll be more of a community instead of these separate warring groups, as I was referring to. Has he been, um, expanding his, uh, sort of communication role? You, you had, uh, two main communicators, Kim and Jamie. Um, mm-hmm. Does he connect through anyone else? Not that, no, he doesn't. Now he just exclusively connects through Jamie because, you know, she has very wide open filters. And if she lets the filter up, he goes, don't weed me, Jamie, don't weed me. <laughs> <laughs> so he helps keep, keep her, uh, her channels wide open. And like I say, they just get along so well. Actually, I think he has a crush on her, too, because he's just adorable. <laughs> How old is she? Oh, gosh, I don't know, maybe late 30s. Mm-hmm. But she's very, not prim and proper, but she's like like one of those Midwest farm girls. And so that was, made it very difficult for her to, to, you know, repeat some of the things that he said. <laughs> but she's gotten more comfortable, you know. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. sometimes sometimes she blushes, you know, some of the things you can see her turn red in the face. And do, do you think he's cursing just to just to keep his character intact or is there yes. a, another purpose? No, you know, like I said, you know, he he wants us to know that it's him and um he wants to be more approachable. Like he's one of us. You know, he's not yeah. no mountaintop guru. Actually, he's yeah. afraid of it, truth be told. But, um, yeah, he doesn't want to be a, a stuffy uh-huh. you know, oracle of Delphi. I, I, I suspect that, that um, 
this language actually helps him to bridge to the younger population and, and to many of the people that you mentioned earlier. Now, your blog, Channeling Eric, started really as an outlet for your own grief. And now yeah. uh, other people have been interacting with Eric and it's be- really taken on a life of its own. What are some of the most exciting experiences you've had since opening this conversation? Well, of course, the like like I referred to before, some of the pranks and signs and, and manifest, physical manifestations he, he's done for these blog members. It's crazy. I know that one of the first ones, he went to this guy in Ireland, and he said, hey, dude, I bet you I can tell you how far your girlfriend is away from you. And she happened to live in, was in Canada at the time, and he, you know, he said down to just within a couple of meters how far away uh, he was, and, and uh, she was, and and he got in trouble for that because he was he was supposed to like get on the job and do his guides and training. So you know he he didn't get that quite away. Uh, so at first he was uh, a rookie, you know, like those those uh, waiters that have trainee on it, uh-huh. the Olive Garden, uh-huh. and you have this this veteran following them. So he um, he had that going on for a while, but then he got in trouble and straightened <laughs> straightened out. <laughs> He still gets in trouble, you know. Well, it sounds like it's very endearing. What guidance or thoughts do you have for our listeners to help them cope with the death of a loved one? Well, I would say that love knows no boundaries, even death. That your loved one, they're there. They just don't happen to have a body. That's it. You just can't see them. And they don't want to be forgotten. It's not like they're squirreled away to some gated community with this little winged security guard on watch. They're here around you. They're probably around you right now. And uh, and there's, there's a way for you to communicate with them, and that relationship can continue and even grow after their death. Plus, like I said, they're happy. They don't have a, any diseases. They don't have any aches and pains of old age, mental disorders, and so on. So. You say there's a way you can communicate with them. How how do you suggest? Well, there's there's several ways. It can actually be as simple as saying, "Hey, what's up? How you doing?" And then listening to what happens in your in your head. And sometimes you might hear your own voice. You know, you have to have faith that it's them. Sometimes you hear their voice mixed with yours, and eventually you hear only their voice. And it it just takes practice. But another thing that I like to do is um, it's called the hand game. You put your hands palm up on your thighs, and uh, you designate one as yes and, and the other as no. And then you ask a question like, are you happy? And then you'll feel some sort of change in sensation on one of the hands. Uh, it, might be, it might feel like somebody's blowing on it. it might, you might feel tingling or change in temperature, numbness, really anything. And if you don't get anything, then you have to say, make it stronger. And then make it stronger until you get that sensation. Like I say, some spirits are better at doing this than others, but gosh, it's, but that's only for yes and no questions. Mm-hmm. Well, that's exciting. Mm-hmm. So where are you going from here? Uh, do you have another book, or are you just uh, focusing on your um, website? Well, of course I'm going to keep up the website. It's... Um, there's a responsibility to this website that's sometimes overwhelming for me because, you know, a lot of people have obviously said that it's 
saved their lives, and some people have gotten rid of all their death anxiety, but for some, it's really saved their lives. Like there's one guy who said, um, he made the comment, I was going to kill myself today, but after reading this post, I'm going to live. Wow. And I know, I know. It it just makes it really hard for me to stop the blog. I know. But there was other woman who, you know, she lost her son, just like I did. And uh, she had been going to therapy for a number of months, but it just you know, didn't seem to be helping in her case. So she came home from a session determined to take her life. She set everything up, was all ready. But for some reason, she, she had this really strong urge to go to her computer and type in, my son is dead. Up comes channeling Eric. So she reads it from stem to stern and, you know, decided that life is worth living. And she's still with us today. Wow. Life so, is worth again, living. It, yeah, and, and again, you know, um, the blog exploded so quickly and became so global yeah. that you know, it really has me poleaxed. You know, sometimes I feel like I'm being swept away by this riptide. Yeah, and, well, uh, obviously, yeah, obviously there's such a need for it, and that's channelingeric.com. That's E-R-I-K. My goodness, our time has gone so quickly. We've been speaking with Dr. Elisa Medhus, the author of My Son and the Afterlife, Conversations from the Other Side. Elisa, thank you. Well, thank you. It was a pleasure. And now we have a bonus for you. My guest is film director Barnett Bain, whose career has focused on creating transformational movies, including Oscar winner What Dreams May Come, Emmy-nominated Homeless to Harvard, and The Celestine Prophecy. He has a new project that is super exciting because it will be the first movie based on one of Eckhart Tolle's books. Welcome, Barnett. It's a pleasure to be here with you. How are you? Barnett, tell us about Milton's Secret. Well, Milton's Secret is, um, as you said, uh, the first of uh, Eckhart Tolle's uh, books to be adapted for the big screen. Uh, it's the story of, of a small boy who is very stressed, lives in an, in an environment with a lot of pressure. It's a modern environment. His parents are having marital and financial difficulties. He has difficulty at school. There are homeless people in his community, and he's uh, very, very concerned about his life and his future and his safety. Uh, The boy's life begins to change very dramatically when he experiences um, a different way of meeting the challenges of being alive. And that happens over the course of a couple of days when his grandfather comes to visit. Mm -hmm. His grandfather, who has a very, very deep mindfulness practice, and who deeply understands um, as the result of a life of a wild life. Um, uh, he's learned um, the power of remorse and forgiveness and sorrow as opposed to guilt, and he's very, very available for people without having to change them or fix them. He's very, very much in his body and not so much in his head. And this little boy's life changes because he sees an entirely different model for dealing dealing with life. This is the kind of script that, for some reason, Hollywood doesn't really believe in. Um, I've been speaking to a number of filmmakers recently who have, um, you know, just kind of 
come up against brick walls, and they have decided to do exactly what you have decided, which is to do crowdfunding. Now, I'm really kind of surprised because you guys have such a, you personally have such a good name in the industry. And of course, Eckhart Tolle is a spiritual rock star since he was on Oprah. Why, why did you feel the need to do crowdfunding? Well, there are a number of uh, reasons here. People often say we want to see this kind of film, we want to see that kind of film. Uh, why aren't there more films of this nature? The truth about uh, films, as, as is the, the same truth as about reality, it's in the eye and in the consciousness of the beholder. We are only able to experience um, um, films or life through the lenses of our belief system and our thoughts and our choices, our attitudes, our decisions. Uh, all of this to say that we have um, a desire to make a particular kind of story that expresses particular kinds of themes. And the gatekeepers of um, business interests and cultural interests uh, may not be exactly attuned to what uh, it is we're trying to do. And yet, there's this amazing thing that's happened as consciousness itself expands. Uh, with the Internet, we have the ability to connect with folks who are operating on exactly the same bandwidth, to use that metaphor, as we are. And so why not uh, bypass the gatekeepers altogether and um, make a film in the way that our particular audience expects to see it and the way that it moves us to create it. Uh, public broadcasting has understood this for a very long time. Uh, they understand that if you, uh, an audience wants to see a particular kind of entertainment, they can support the creation of it, become collaborators and co-creators of it. And uh, we believe very strongly in co-creation. You're actually uh, going beyond the belief in co-creation, and you're actually putting that into practice in your crowdfunding campaign. Tell us about that. Well, um, at some point we become what we think, what we say, and what we do. At some point we understand that. We, that's always operating, but we understand that. And so it's very comfortable for me to operate. I, I wouldn't say it's comfortable. It's very uncomfortable. <laughs> but it's very it's very natural to operate that way. It's uncomfortable in an exciting way to go directly to our audience and say, here's what we're doing, and do you want to support it? That's exciting. It's uncomfortable because it's very new and uh, untried, and there is no certainty about it. There's no certainty in life. I'm discovering more and more as I um, get more become more and more seasoned and, uh, and older, more experienced. So uh, we have decided we are going to go directly to the community. Um, we, uh, we, for more information on what we're doing, to hear more from myself, to hear more from Eckhart on this, to see some of the kinds of themes that we're exploring, um, you can go to www.supportmiltonsecret.com. SupportMiltonSecret.com. And I understand that you actually got Peter Fonda to star in the film. Yes, Peter Fonda is the uh, lead, and he, he plays the, the boy's grandfather. He, 
His character is someone who is a, a, a wild guy in his youth, very, very wild guy, and then went into the military and spent a life in the military and uh, over the course of, was not a very good father, not a very good husband. And over the course of his life of uh, seasoning and maturing, he has uh, discovered some uh, beautiful sorrow about some of his behaviors in the past and let it go. And um, as we meet him in the movie, he is very much a restorer, a restorer of love and of people's right to be who they are and doesn't feel he has to fix things or be he's very, very present with those that he's with. Well, and he's a beautiful model for this little boy. He's a beautiful model for me. It'll be fascinating to see this film come together. So uh, contributors to the Milton Secret Indiegogo launch will be entitled to all kinds of incentives based on their level of donation, in everything from a special edition copy of the finished film to a walk-on speaking role. Now that's exciting if you have deep pockets. If you have deep pockets and uh, if you're, um, for, for some of for some of your listeners who may uh, have aspirations to be an actor, it's quite an opportunity, but mostly it's fun. We want to make it fun. We want to invite uh, our collaborators. We want to invite our audience to feel a part of what it is that we are making. Uh, we want to be very clear about how grateful we are for their support. We want them to feel included in as many ways and as fun ways as, as we can imagine. Well, this really is a time for the community to come together in every single way. And this is a wonderful project to come together around because it's putting such wonderful values into the the global consciousness. So, Barnett, I want to thank you for really stepping out on a limb with this project. It's um, uh, so exciting. And tell us again where to go to find out about it. What's the website? Please visit www.supportmiltonsecret.com. Miltonsecret.com. Barnett Bain, director of Milton Secret at supportmiltonsecret.com. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Miriam. It was a pleasure. You can find all the links we mentioned on the show on our website at ncreview.com. Well, I'm afraid we don't have time for our track of the week, but I do hope you'll join us next week when we certainly will bring you music as well as all the way from Hawaii, Kahu Fred Sterling, talking about his new book, Signature Cell Healing. Until then, I'm Miriam Knight for New Consciousness Review. Thank you for listening. Goodbye.